I feel a little bit like I'm at home, like I'm at C3 San Diego. Like I feel like I came all the all the across the world, but I feel like at home. And uh, you guys are are amazing, getting after it in worship. I love worship. Worship is probably my favorite part of the service, and uh, it's a time that you know we can we can connect with God. But I'm so uh, honored and privileged to be here. Um, I love Australia. I've been here about five times. Um, I love Australians. I like the way you talk. I don't laugh at the way you talk. I like the way you talk. You can rebuke me, and I'll be like, I feel good about it. That felt good. Thank you. I'll thank you for rebuking me. Um, I like coffee in Australia. I've had probably 47-ish flat whites since I've been here. And uh, I was introduced to flat whites the first time I came to Australia. So thank you for your coffee. We now serve it in our church in San Diego. So we're bringing, you know, Australia. We've got to get some meat pies or something. But but so far, we're just with the coffee. And I love your pastors, Pastor John and Danielle. Why don't we honor your pastors this morning for who they are. It's their anniversary. You know, being a senior pastor is no joke, and, uh, you know, uh, even the people closest to Pastor John and Danielle probably don't know all of the fights and the battles um, that you guys had to fight privately, so I just want to honor you for building a fantastic church and for being a great leader whom I've, um, who's inspired me from a distance kind of, uh, you know, when I come to Presence Conference, seeing him on stage leading and uh, just a man of strength, a man of the Holy Spirit, uh, and so uh, I appreciate you, sir, and uh, thank you for being, thank you for having me here. Um, like you said, I'm from San Diego, grew up in San Diego. Uh, my family still lives in San Diego. I live about seven minutes from my parents. And uh, um, I went to, I had a, oh yeah, there they are. That's Hudson, that's Holton, 10, 9, and Henley, my beautiful little princess, and my wife, Becky, who is in the city church this morning preaching. So uh, we're, just, we're just living a dream. And uh, I went to UCLA, which is a, a college in in, in America and played baseball there. I had a dream to be in the big leagues, to play Major League Baseball. And uh, that was my dream since the time I was 10 years old. And so uh, I got drafted out of UCLA, played baseball for three years with the Florida Marlins organization, um, got into double A, blew out my knee for the fifth time, and then, uh, you know, had to, had to hang them up. I like to say I retired because I don't like to quit. So I retired at 26 and, uh, and moved on to commercial real estate. Um, so uh, that was good. And then, um, and then I met Pastor Jurgen and Leanne, and I didn't grow up in a church that was alive like this. Went to church since I was six years old, but I never was introduced to the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know. I don't know if they just didn't talk about it, if I didn't pay attention or what, but I just didn't really know about the Holy Spirit. Wasn't really against it, just didn't really know about it. And so when I met Pastor Jurgen, um, I had never even considered being in ministry. I never considered it. I didn't, I didn't have dreams of going to Bible college and, you know, preaching to the nations. That wasn't me. I had dreams of playing baseball. Um, but uh, Pastor Jurgen believed in me and, uh, and said I had a touch of God on my life. And from then, it was just a seed that was planted on the inside of me. And over the course of time, you know, my heart began to, to fall towards ministry. And now I'm living a dream I never knew that I had, but God always had. And, uh, and so I want to encourage you. I can't imagine doing anything else. can't imagine doing anything else. If you are a leader, believe in people. Greatest thing you can do is believe in people. You never know what it's going to blossom into. And, uh, and so, well, hey, I'm here, and we're talking about purpose. And I have a, a message this morning that I feel like is going to um, encourage you. And um, I think there's some life on it. I think you're going to be, be encouraged. And uh, I'm not afraid if you want to say, wow, amen, you know, <laughs> praise God, whatever. I'm, I'm into that stuff. I'm into that stuff. So um, 
in the marketplace, in the business world, which I am fond of, I own a business, um, when companies or people innovate, when they, when they invent a product service or process, or when they improve on a product service or process that changes an industry, it's called, uh, it's said that they disrupt an industry. It essentially means that you take a new approach to an old idea or a brand new idea in a specific space and you change the way that that business is done in that industry. It's called disruption. Travis Kalanick uh, and his buddy were in Paris in 2008. They were at a technology conference and they, after being in a conference all day, they wanted to go to dinner. And so they came outside of the conference center and they started to wave down a, a, a cab. And they couldn't find a cab. They couldn't get a cab. And so it frustrated them. And they vowed to change that problem. So they had a, they had a mission. They had, a, they had an idea. They wanted to press a button and get a car. They wanted to press a button and get a car. So just two years later, 2010 in the summer, Uber was born. Uber was born, and his mission, Travis's mission, according to a Vanity Fair article in 2014, was to drastically disrupt what he considered a very broken transportation system. And so to think you could build a transportation company without investing in planes, trains, or automobiles will blow your mind. But they didn't invest in vehicles. They invested in technology. And wow, did they ever disrupt the transportation industry. In fact, um, they put millions of people to work, and they pioneered an industry called the sharing economy, so much so that if there's a change in the sharing economy, it's called to be uh, referred to as Uberification or Uberization. The, uh, the latest valuation that I saw just, this is just a few months ago was that the company is now worth $66 billion with a B, just 10 years after they had that frustrating moment in Paris in 2008. Uh, but none, none of this stuff comes easy. If, you, if you're going to set out to disrupt an industry or disrupt a sphere of culture, it doesn't come easy. In fact, it causes opposition to rise. So they had to fight against media. They had to fight against government officials. They had to fight against their competition because they saw their market share shrinking as Uber's market share was rising. And so because their paradigm had been completely shifted, they're trying to pull them down to their level. Because whenever you try to disrupt, it's going to cause opposition. But they stuck to it, and now they've, uh, you know, transportation will never, ever be the same. At C3 Church, as a movement, we tend to do things a little bit differently, at least than the way I, I grew up. We challenge the status quo a bit. We don't do things the way that, you know, maybe uh, most churches would say is the typical church playbook. We actually talk about finances. We talk about money. Um, when the world talks about money, everybody claps. You know, seven steps to prosperity. Everybody's going to show up to that, right? But as soon as the church starts to talk about how God wants to deal with your finances, we stand back like this. Or people leave the church. They get offended. They write Yelp reviews. Because they think God just wants my money, the church just wants my money. Actually, God is never trying to get something from you. He's only trying to get stuff to you. And so, and so we talk about money. It challenges people. It makes people uncomfortable for whatever reason. We have female preachers. Can all the women say, hey? Thank you. I love doing that. Um, so, so that challenges people. That even offends women, which is w really weird. But it offends women sometimes. And so, so we have female preachers. And people get offended because they take scripture out of context. And they don't realize anybody on this platform is under the authority of the senior pastor, Pastor John. But, th but they get offended. They get offended. We, we believe in the power of God. Signs, wonders, miracles, healings. We believe in that stuff. Somehow people get offended when people get healed. 
or when people fall over. Let me just tell you, I hope that the creator of the universe can at least knock me over. <clears throat> so when people fall over, it's okay. Sometimes he's just trying to get your brain out of the way so you can do some surgery on your heart. But people get offended. People get offended, and so, so, so people leave. But I got to tell you, at C3, we are more committed to fearing God than fearing losing people. We're committed to the call of God on our life. The reason people get offended is that is because they, they've never experienced it. They've never seen it in their life. But we're never going to lower our, our Bible to our experience. We're going to raise our experience to what the Bible says. We want to do what the Bible says. We don't want to just read these words. We want to live in the Bible. And so, so it's created some, some opposition. We, we talk about, uh, uh, we're not politically correct, really. We're biblically correct, but we're not necessarily politically correct. And so people don't like that. People like politically correct. They don't like people potentially getting offended. But we're, we're called to preach the word of God, the truth, because it's the truth that will set you free. It's the truth that will make you free. And so that, that causes opposition. We talk about things that we struggle with, even from the platform. Other pastors don't, don't like that because it challenges the way they think. So we talk that we struggle in our marriages sometimes. We talk that we struggle with parenting. We talk about the different struggles. We might have a, a gift to lead or to preach or to communicate, but we don't have a gift to be a Christian. We all got to fight. We all got to battle to be a Christian, to do the right things. And so we, we talk about that, and we're okay with that. And, uh, but that challenges people. And so I was, uh, towards the end of last year, I was just kind of considering this. Considering the fact that we don't typically do the normal playbook, that we challenge the status quo, and, and I felt to ask God, because I want to be teachable. I want to be, uh, I want to learn from other people, and, and, you know, we're constantly bringing other movements and other leaders into our, into our churches to try to learn and glean from them. Um, so I was asking God, God, are we doing the right thing? The way we're communicating, what, what we're preaching, are we doing the right thing? Because I believed in it, but I just wanted to make sure that I was kind of on course. And this is what I felt God say. He said, you are doing the right thing. In fact, the church is called to disrupt culture. We are called to be the influencers, not the influencees. And so don't step back. Continue to do what you're called to do. And so we've, we've, we've got opposition because we are disrupting culture. And that's what we're called to do as a church, and that's what we're called to do as people in the communities. So the title of this message is Disruption. Disruption. Isaiah 2, 2 to 3, I want to read this passage of scripture to you and then kind of break it down because I think it talks about the purpose of the church and, and then the purpose of us individuals. It says, now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of the Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I love this passage of scripture, and I want to kind of break it down for you. It starts off by saying, now it shall come to pass in the latter days. Now, I want to let you know that we are in the latter days. I'm not saying Jesus is coming back next week, but I think that we need to have a sense of urgency about what we're doing here on earth. You know what I mean? Like, like, we're, like we are in the last days. In, in Joel 2.28, the Bible says that um, I will pour out my spirit, God speaking, on all flesh. My sons and daughters shall prophesy. My young men will see visions. My old men will dream dreams. In Acts 2, that prophetic word was realized when the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room. So we are in the latter days. <clears throat> we are in the latter days. And so we need to get urgent about the message that we are communicating into our culture, into our society. Now, 12 years ago, I was in the nation of Australia at a, at a youth conference, 
Pastor David was there. And there was an American dude that came and spoke. And he's speaking to all these youth. And in his message, he says, Jesus is coming back. And he was talking about like in the next couple of weeks. The problem was the, the guy that was running the conference had to get up after him and try to get pre-registrations for the next year. And so he had to rewind a little bit and say, hey, guys, Jesus ain't coming back in the next 12 months. I need to get some pre-registrations. So I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we are in the last days, and it is time to get going. Next it says that the mountain of the Lord's house. I love that it, that it describes the Lord's house as a mountain, as a big place. The house of God is meant to be a big place because it's meant to house big people. I'm a believer that as soon as you step into the kingdom of God, you forfeit the right to live small. You now have to start thinking about other people. It's not just all about you anymore. You are blessed to be a blessing. Your, your goals, your visions, your dreams, your purpose has to involve God and it has to involve other people. As soon as you step into the kingdom, everything changes. We can no longer live a small life. The mountains of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. So it's the mountain of the Lord's house. It's a big place, and it's housed in an elevated position. It's housed in an elevated position because the church is meant to stand in authority. The church is meant to be elevated to a high place on mountains all over the place. If you talk to any military person, Pastor David was in the military, he will tell you that, that uh, in the military, it is an advantageous place to take high ground. It, that is an advantage in battle to, to take high ground. It's an authoritative place. The mountain of the Lord's house, the house of God, is meant to be established in authoritative places. And if you don't think that's important to take ground in high places, I would challenge you to go to Israel. We were just in Israel at the end of last year, and we saw that in every town and city, the highest buildings, the, the most spectacular buildings were Muslim mosques and towers. The reason they do that is because they want to assert authority and power into that region. And so as you drive by, you will see the mosques and the towers, the Muslim towers in the highest places. And uh, it's, very, it's very disturbing. You also see them in, in, uh, in places that are very sacred to Christians and Jews. And so uh, it is very important that we take Tory, that, that we occupy buildings. I love the fact that you guys own 30 acres and you have a vision to, to expand over campuses and it's amazing. That's what we should be, that's what we should be doing. And so Psalms 104:19 says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. It doesn't rule under all, it rules over all. But the church isn't just about buildings. The church is people that meet in buildings. You are the church. We are the church. And not just the building of the, the house of God should be in high places and be places of authority, but you and I should be living in authority. The Bible says in Ephesians that, that God with his mighty power raised Jesus Christ up far above all principality, power, and might, and name, and anything with a name in this age and in the age to come, and sat him down at his right hand. In Ephesians 2, it says that he raised us up together with him. And that in him, we are raised up high above every principality, every power, every might, every dominion in this age and in the age to come. In Christ. That's how you and I are meant to walk in this world and in this life. We are meant to be people of authority. And all the shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Verse 3 says, many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. 
if people are going to go out and they're going to compel people to come up a mountain that takes effort, you might have, people might have to put in some effort to get to church, drive a little ways to get to church, go pick somebody up to get them to church. It takes a little bit of effort. But if they're going to go out and be passionate to bring somebody up to the mountain of the house of the Lord, the house of God better have an X factor. The house of God better be excellent. The house of God better be relevant. It better be innovative. It needs to have screens. It needs to have great worship. It needs to have haze and and lights and and all of this stuff. That's what it needs to have because we're competing with the world. You guys might say, well, 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 pastor, we don't need the X factor because we got the God factor. And I will tell you that most people will never experience the God factor unless you have an X factor. Because the X factor will open them up to the God factor. Pews and hymns don't attract the world. They attract the church. We're not called to reach the church. We're called to reach the world. So you can still listen to hymns in your car and you can still put a pew in your house. But when you come to the house of God, it has to be next level. If people are going to be passionate about the house of God, to bring people, it has to be a place that they can be proud of. This building is awesome. I would have no issues bringing my friends and my people to this place because this place is awesome. You guys are amazing. It has to be excellent. It has to be funded. The church has to be funded. If you're gonna, people are going to bring people here, that has to be funded. That's why we talk about financial things. That's why we talk about money because the church needs to be funded. No one wants to get on a sinking ship. No one wants to get on a sinking ship. When I came into our church, it was the first time I realized God wasn't broke. Church is growing up. I thought, oh man, God must be broke. So that's why all the Christians were broke. But then I realized that no, God, you know, the 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 streets of, of heaven are, are are gold. That the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, that all the silver and gold is mine, says the Lord. And He's not greedy, He wants to give it to His kids. So we gotta we gotta be people that fund the church. We must be a place that speaks a prophetic voice. We shouldn't be talking about what was, we need to be talking about what is to come. We can't be another motivational seminar just regurgitating what the world is saying. we got to be a prophetic voice. We have to be a place of transformation. We have to be able to, to speak things and see them come to pass. That's what, the, that's what the house of God needs to be if we're going to actually compete with the world. We can't be politically correct so much so that we silent. Politically correctness silences the voice of the church, the truth, and elevates the voice of the world. When that happens, confusion ensues. People don't know what truth is and what isn't truth. We need to be a prophetic voice. It needs to be different in here than it is out there. Now, how many people here like the rain? Wow. Does it even rain here? I don't really like the rain. I like the idea of rain. I like it between 12 and 5 when I'm asleep. Because when, because when, I'm, when I'm awake, especially in San Diego because it never rains, and even when it sprinkles in San Diego, it's just chaos, man. It's like bumper-to-bumper traffic everywhere. People don't know how to drive. Probably me, too, because I'm from San Diego. And so, you know, it's just a mess. And uh, every time during uh, any kind of storm or, or rain season in San Diego, there'll be this meme that pops up on social media. And it'll be this, this branch that's about this big with a few leaves on it in the middle of the street. And then the, the language will say, storm watch, San Diego. We will rebuild. That's how, that's because it never rains in San Diego. Like, it never rains. And so, I don't don't really like the rain, but whatever. But imagine this. Imagine Hurricane Rosanna comes into Kiwana Waters. I just picked Rosanna because it seemed to flow. 
Hurricane Rosanna comes into Kiwana Waters, and it's bucketing down rain outside, okay? You see a building. You see a building, and on the building it says shelter. So you run into the building that says shelter. You slam the door behind you, and you look up, and you realize there's no roof. So in other words, it's bucketing down rain outside, and it's bucketing down rain inside. There's no difference inside the shelter than there is outside the shelter. Let me just tell you, there has to be a different weather system in the house of God. There has to be a different atmosphere. There has to be something different inside the church than it is outside the church. Otherwise, what's the point? It has to be different. It has to be different. It has to be a place of power. It has to be powerful, full of power. Let me tell you that the world is looking for power. Your, your high school ministers can tell you this. Kids are looking for power. And if the church is not willing to give it to them, they're going to go find it in tarot card readers. They're going to go find it in psychics. They're going to go find it in mediums, horoscopes. They're going to find it somewhere. So we have to be a church that gives them power. We have to be a powerful church. And the power of God is what changed me. It's what radically changed me and gave me purpose for my life. It was the power of God. It was an encounter with the Holy Spirit about 12 years ago. Right before I started coming to C3, like I told you, I, I didn't grow up with the Holy Spirit. I didn't grow up with the power of God. I just grew up in, you know, going to church. And I was driving around in commercial real estate. I'm looking at properties and doing some research, and my stomach started to hurt. And so I'm like, okay, whatever. I take some Advil, go home. That night, the pain uh, continued to get worse. And so I told my wife, I said, babe, I think I need to go to the emergency room. And my wife's not, like, super compassionate when I'm sick. Like, if I want sympathy, I still have to call my mom, and I'm 43. <clears throat> so my wife's like, all right, we'll go to the emergency room. So we go to the emergency room. She's not here, so it's all good. Uh, so we go to the emergency room, and, uh, and I go to the emergency room, and they, and they check me out, and they, they say, you know what? You're dehydrated. They hook me up to an IV, and they give me a bunch of um, liquids, send me home. Okay, so I go home. Unfortunately, the next day, the pain got worse, not better. And so that night, we tried to go to bed, and I'm literally on the floor, curled up like this. My stomach's killing me. My back is hurting. And so I'm like, do I wake up my wife? Because you don't wake up the women in my family either. You don't wake up my daughter who's five, and you don't wake up my wife. They like their sleep. So it was, it was a risk, but I'm like, babe, I'm in pain. I need to go. So she takes me back to the emergency room. I walk into the emergency room, and they test me again. This time, they say, you're dehydrated, and you're also constipated. And I got to tell you, my respect for constipated people went through the roof because I was in some serious pain. So, <clears throat> so I, they put me on Motrin and liquids, and then, they, and then I, they send me home again. Well, the next day, the pain is getting worse. It is excruciating. I can't even uh, think about going to bed or anything. And so I'm like, babe, we got to go back. So we go back, and now not only is my wife annoyed, the nurses and doctors are annoyed. They're like, oh, the constipated guy's back. <laughs> so I walk in. I walk in, and this time they take my blood. They take my blood, and, uh, and, and when the doctor comes back, his countenance changes. He sits me and my wife down, and he says, son, do you have a will? I'm convinced this guy missed the whole bedside manner class in medical school. He says, do you have a will? And I said, I do have a will, but why, why do I need a will? And he said, because your kidneys are failing. You have what we, what we call acute renal failure. We need to admit you right away. So they admit me right away, and you measure your kidney function by your creatinine levels, which they found, find in your blood. And over the next three days, I lost 20 pounds. On the fourth day, they were going to take my, uh, a biopsy of my kidneys and test it because they had no, no reason why a 31-year-old in the best shape of his life would be sick. 
And so they're going to they're gonna do the, the biopsy. And, and right then I remembered that I had a friend that had gone to C3. I'd met Pastor Jurgen. So I called my friend and said, hey, do you think Pastor Jurgen will come pray for me? I was at my wit's end. And he said, yeah, he probably would, but he's on a plane to Australia. But when I talked to him, he said to send a, a guy named Mark Peterson over because he knows how to pray. And this was a guy who was just coming over from, from Australia because <clears throat> apparently you guys believe in the power of God. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, so Mark comes into the hospital that night. He had fasted all day to pray for a guy he'd never met before. And he walks in the, into the, to the hospital room and he says, can I pray for you? And I said, yes, please. So he lays his hands on me and I kid you not, I have never felt anything so powerful. There was a weight that came into that room. There was a power that I'd never felt before. He started to pray for me. He started to prophesy Isaiah 58 that your healing will come forth speedily. And he started to tell me things about my future that are that are continuing to come to pass today. And when he was done, everybody in the room, my parents, my friends, everybody was crying because no one had ever seen, felt, or heard anything like that before. And I got to tell you, when he left the room, I knew something had shifted. And when he walked out, I said in my spirit, I want what he has because I had never seen it before. The next day, the next day they tested my blood before they did the biopsy. And, uh, and they said that my, my creatinine levels had plummeted to uh, more than half of where they were. I was at 4.8. At 8, you're on dialysis. I was at 4.8. That plummeted to under 2. The next day, they tested again, and I was normal at 1, and they uh, released me from the hospital, and my kidneys have never had a problem since in the last 12 years. The power of God came and touched my life. And it was that encounter, it was that encounter that gave me the purpose for the rest of my life. It was an encounter with heaven. It was an encounter with God. Now I am committed to introducing and demonstrating the power of God in my life and, in, and you know, with other people. And, and I'm committed to not letting that die out in my church or any of the circles that I'm in. Because the power of God saved me and launched me and awakened me on my purpose in life. If I could tell you how do you want to find your purpose, get into an environment like this where you can encounter God. You guys are in the, you guys are the smartest people in Kiwana Waters because you're in church on a Sunday morning giving yourself an opportunity to hear from heaven. The Bible says that the house of God is a gate, a gate of heaven. It is an entry place. It is an entry place to the supernatural where God can speak to you about what he has for you. Moses thought he was going to be a murderer. For 40 years, he's in the wilderness until he encountered God in a burning bush. And God said, you're going to deliver Israel from Egypt. It was an encounter. David was herding sheep until he encountered God through a prophet named Samuel who said, you're going to be a king. Saul was persecuting Christians until he encountered God on the road. And God said, you're no longer Saul, you are Paul. And he became the most prolific writer in the New Testament. It's an encounter with God that will set you up, that will awaken you to your purpose in this life. There's nothing like the power of God. We need to have power in the house of God. The next part says, and we shall walk in his paths. The Bible says his paths drip with abundance. God, Jesus came to give you life and life more abundantly. That means no matter where you are in your life, more abundantly, you can keep going up. There's no ceilings in heaven. God's never put limits on you. The only limit on you is what we put on ourselves. Don't build ceilings he never built. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. This tells me that out of the church, out of the people of God, shall go forth the law. Meaning we shall be the influencers of culture. Meaning we need to invade every sphere of culture. We teach our pathfinders. Every, we need government officials. We need arts and entertainment, athletes. We need media personalities. We need educators, teachers, superintendents, principals. We need business people, finance people taking their place of influence in culture. 
We need people with high moral values in high places. Why? Because it's the best way for the world to live. Some of you might think that the only way you can serve God is to be a pastor, worship leader, or a missionary. Let me tell you, you, most of us have been assigned to the marketplace. Most of us have been called to go out there. Most of us have been called to do things outside of the church. Absolutely, we're all called to serve here. We're all called to be here, but we're all, we all have different anointings and different assignments in the earth. We need the next government officials to be Christians. We need athletes with a voice. They have the, the most powerful voice in the world is possibly the entertainers and the athletes. We need those people to be raised up from the church and begin to speak because they can influence millions of people immediately. We need educators writing curriculum that are Christians that are raised up in the house of God. We need business people taking, being CEOs, starting companies, raising through the ranks in their companies, managing people. We need you to do what you were called to do. If you're wondering, what is my purpose? What comes easy to you? Pastor Phil always says, when you do your gift, the wind blows. What, 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 what when you do gives you momentum? What comes easy to you? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What is it that comes easy? What is it that lights you up on the inside? That probably has something to do with your purpose. There are people in this church that have the ability, the unique gift to generate an amazing, incredible amount of wealth. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 8.18 that I have given you the power to get wealth to establish the covenants in the earth. There are people here who have been wondering, man, where is my place in this church? How do I get involved? What do I do? I'm telling you, you are called to create wealth to fund the kingdom of God. That is your assignment. That is the most sacred thing that you could do because it came straight from heaven. The most sacred thing that you can do is what God's called you to do. Not be a pastor. Your assignment is sacred. Your assignment in the, in, in the marketplace is just as sacred as my assignment on the platform because God's the one that's given it to you. He's gifted it for you. So that is your assignment, and it is a sacred thing to do. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem is nothing like the word of the Lord. We can't be a church that's scared to preach and be and act the word of God in the world. It's the word of God that created the world, and it's the word of God that holds the worlds together. The Bible, the Bible says that this word right here is, is living and powerful, sharper than two, any two-edged sword, able to discern soul and spirit. I mentioned earlier, without the voice of the church, the world is confused. The world goes to feelings or their soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and they don't know. Because it feels good, let's do it. And because that's elevated in the world, they get confused. So now we're confused about sexuality. We're confused about morality. We're confused about marriage. It's because of the absence of the voice of the church. It's the absence of the voice of, of God, the word of God. And so we have to be people who aren't ashamed of the gospel, who aren't ashamed to preach and, and, uh, and act the gospel in the world. God watches over his word to perform it. He's watching over his word to perform it. So we got to speak it. We got to do it, and he's going to perform it. He's going to perform it. The word's not outdated. It is right on time. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And so we got to go. We got to go into the world. We got to get urgent about this thing. We got to get, we got to get excited about this thing. If people are going to go out and passionately bring people to the house of God, we got to have a house of God that is worth coming to. But we can't just be here. We got to go out there. We got to go out there. There's a simple way to do this. Just take responsibility for your sphere of influence. Go coach a team. I coach my kids because I love them and because I want to be, meet people that don't go to church. I'm on my kids' school board. Why? Because I want to have influence. 
Because I don't want them teaching my kids stuff that they shouldn't be teaching them. Go volunteer somewhere. Volunteer here. We reach people every single week. Volunteer here. Get on a team, man. We, we got plans to take this whole city. Get on a team. Go run for office. Go fund somebody running for office. Let's take responsibility for our cities, for our sphere of influence. It's actually very, very simple. <clears throat> Staying away from the world is Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they would say, don't go near the unclean. Don't go near those with, with leprosy because what's on them might get on you. But Jesus disrupts that theology in the New Testament. He goes to those with leprosy, those that are unlovable, and he lays his hands on them. And he's, he's, he's not worried about what's on them getting on him. He knows what's on him is going to get into them. And healing is going to come. Unless we go out, healing's not going to come. we got to go out into the world and bring what's on us and put it on them. There was a song. <clears throat> there was a song by Matthew West a few years ago, and it was called Do Something. Some of you might be familiar with it. But the essence of the song was this. There's a guy in the song, and he's crying out to God, and he's saying, God, there's poverty in the world. There's calamity everywhere. Why don't you do something, God? And in the song, God responds to this man. And he says, I have done something. I've created you. You're the answer. We're the answer. The local church is the answer. That is our purpose. That is our mission to reach a world that is lost. I'd like to invite up the, the keys, the band. Matthew 5 says, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine. Notice you're not the light of the church, you're the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. You are meant to go out and shine. In the beginning, God, the Bible says, looked out over, over the earth. And the earth was formless and void. It was chaotic. It was covered in darkness. And his solution thousands of years ago to a dark and chaotic, formless world was he stepped out into darkness and he said, let there be light. I believe God's looking down from heaven right now. And not much has changed. He's still looking at a world that is that is covered in darkness. He's still looking at a world that is formless, that is void of morality, that is chaotic. And I believe the same solution that he had thousands of years ago at the genesis of creation when he stepped out and said, let there be light, is the same answer that he has today. Except this time he's stepping out into darkness and he's talking to Christians like you and Christians like me and he's saying, let there be light. You're the answer. He's calling us out today to go out into the world and make a difference, to bring something that will disrupt culture. We can't be the same. we got to bring something different. You guys are so lucky that you go to a church like this. This is unbelievable. A church that believes God for the miraculous. A church that is different than the world. A church that isn't afraid to speak its voice church that has a vision and a strategy to take a city. C3 stands for Christian City Church. We are city-taking church. That's who we are. That's in our DNA. It flows down from the top. That's who you are. I need to end the service. Would you just close your eyes just for a moment? There might be some people here who have actually never 
invited Jesus into their life. Maybe you've never been to a church like this, or maybe you've been coming for a little bit, but you just weren't sure. But today, you, you feel something on the inside. Feel a tug on the inside. And you're saying, man, I want to be that light. I want to represent Jesus in the earth. I want to walk in authority and in power. The first step, friend, is to invite Jesus in, into your life. And 2,000 years ago, he died on a cross for your sin and for my sin. And he died on the cross exchanging his perfection for our imperfection. And he died on a cross without any guarantee that any of us would ever choose him. That's how much he loves you. So if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe one time you did, but you've taken your life back, it's easy to do in a life that gets so busy. But today you're saying, you know what? I want to rededicate my life to following Jesus. If you're one of those two people, you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe one time you did, but you've taken your life back, today you're saying, you know what? I want to rededicate my life. With every eye closed and head bowed, would you just raise your hand right where you are so that I can pray for you? Is there anybody like that here this morning? Is there anybody here that's saying, Jesus, come into my world? Let's not leave the same way that we came in. Is there anybody like that? I have to end the service. Is there anybody like that? Let me pray for you this morning. Jesus gave everything so that you could have a life. Is there anybody like that? Let me pray for you this morning. I feel like there's a couple of people. Your heart's beating. You're not sure what to do. Lift your hand. Let Jesus come into your world. Let's all pray this prayer. Just repeat after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on a cross for my sins. Lord Jesus, today, I invite you into my life, and I declare that I am saved, that heaven is my home, and that God is my Father. In Jesus' name, amen.